Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 208. Well, I'm sitting here on a Thursday morning getting to watch the Curtis Cup on Golf Channel. Really wish I was over there in Wales after attending the last two Walker Cups and then spending time this year covering the U.S. Women's Four Ball at Merido and the U.S. Women's Amateur at Westchester Country Club. I'm going to have to add the 2022 Curtis Cup to my schedule. So I really hope to be at Marion next time the Curtis Cup is up for grabs here in the United States. Some of the best players from the U.S. squad were competing at the U.S. Women's Am. Players like Rose Zhang, the number one ranked amateur in the world, Mili Migliaccio, Rachel Heck, Rachel Keane, and my guest on this episode of the Back of the Range, the 2021 U.S. Women's Amateur Champion, Jensen Castle. I first met Jensen at Merido during the U.S. Women's Ball when she partnered up with her University of Kentucky teammate, Marissa Wensler. When you know it, those two survived a 12-for-2 playoff just to get into match play at the U.S. Women's Am. The story of Jensen's week started well before. If you watched the coverage on Golf Channel, you obviously heard about her pre-existing rib injury, so we spoke about that. We also spoke about her mental approach to the game, which is unique and might challenge some of your own ideas on how to get the most out of your game. So while there are some fun anecdotes in this episode, and believe me, there's more than one, you'll also find some nuggets of information that you'll be able to incorporate into your own game. Before we get started, I want to take another opportunity to thank Westchester Country Club and the USGA for all of their hospitality throughout the week at the U.S. Women's Amp. I was on the road for a month. I saw tons of golf, worked with some great people. But staying at the hotel at Westchester Country Club and seeing all the smiles and laughs from the players every day at the U.S. Women's Amp that just might be the most memorable and entertaining week of the trip for me. So you're going to see more and more coverage at the back of the range focused on the women's amateur game. Let's get started with this episode. Jensen, you're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm I'm more rested. I'm sure you're a little bit more rested than the, uh, after the epic week at Westchester and uh I'm finally off the road after a month of, uh, of amateur golf. Um, I guess the first easy question before we get into a little bit of your history in the game is, uh, I know a lot of your post-round interviews is, have been, um, it's a dream. It hasn't sunk in yet. I still don't believe it. Have, we, have you made any progress uh, accepting the fact that you are the United States women's amateur champion? No, I really haven't. I mean, it's everyone's dream and I can't believe I just remember scrolling through Instagram like the past six years every time someone wins and I'm like, just can't imagine winning something like that. You know, like it's just a dream. And I <laughs> I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like I can't believe the trophies with me and I can't believe like all the hard work's paid off. I know we spoke a little bit uh, last night about your your journey back home to Lexington. Obviously, you're uh, you're a member of the University of Kentucky Wildcats women's golf team. So we'll talk a little bit about Kentucky, Lexington, and maybe the the recent uh, travels you've been uh, dealing with the last couple of days. But um, I feel like everyone was really introduced to you on a national stage during that week 
And I know that there are some other things that, um, you know, like leading into, it doesn't just happen that one week. There's a lot of things that had to take place for you to get your game to the point of uh, competing on a national stage. So let's kind of start a little bit at the beginning. Growing up in South Carolina, how how do you find your way into the game of golf? So my mom had to work on the weekends growing up. And that's when my dad would play. And I mean, when I'm talking about growing up, I'm talking about when I was like two and three. Right. So he took my sister and I with him. And I mean, we would just ride around the cart, but he would bribe my sister and I with candy bars and sodas <laughs> and, you know, drop a ball and like a hundred yards out or maybe 80. And all we had to do was get the ball in the hole. As long as you got the ball in the hole, you got to choose between a soda and a candy bar. And, you know, my sister and I, we were riding, so we weren't walking. So we'd, we'd get the ball in the hole, you know, probably 10, 15 shots later. Sure. Maybe more than that. And um, we would choose between one of those two and then ride for three holes until it's gone and play another hole. And then choose the opposite of what we chose the first time. And then we'd come home from golf. And my mom's like, what did you give them? Like, why are they bouncing <laughs> off the walls? <laughs> that sounds like such a good idea at the time. And then post-sugar and post-caffeine, like, yeah, it's really good to give three-year-olds Coke, but that's okay. <laughs> My dad's always like, oh, they just love golf. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so we grew up playing like that for the first few years, and then eventually, you know, it became more fun, and we were pretty good at it. And we had still, he would still bribe us with candy bars or sodas or who knows at what age it turned into money, $25 for an underpar round. Okay. But... Fortunately, we outgrew that pretty fast, and <laughs> there's no bribery in it now. But <laughs> sure. So when do you when do you remember the game becoming something that you're really passionate about, where you wanted to compete at a higher level, and it wasn't just about getting. I mean, I know we're joking about it now, but it wasn't just about okay, if I do, if I shoot this score, I get this you know, prize, uh, you know, when did it turn in from candy bars and sodas into trophies? Uh, probably somewhere between 10 and 12. Okay. Um, just playing in bigger, you know, the age division, barely getting the 13 to 18 division and just playing well against older people. Yeah. And like I said, you know, this week, uh, this magical week you have in New York where it seems like the whole, uh, you know, world is kind of introduced to you. Um, let's not forget you're very highly recruited in, in the junior golf circuit. I mean, you're an AJGA first team all American. And basically when you have that title stamped to your resume, you can pretty much get your pick of any program that you'd want to go to. So you have a very nice coach at Kentucky that was a member of a Swedish national team. So how do you get in lockstep with a coach at Kentucky coming out of South Carolina, when did that transition or when did, when did the opportunity to play uh, in Lexington come to, come to pass? So I started playing really good golf really late actually. Okay. And um, it was like the summer of going into my senior year when, which I was playing well and I hadn't committed anywhere and I was, you know, just playing golf. Um, and I'm really hard headed. Like I don't make an effort in things like I, like I wasn't really recruiting hard schools. You weren't promoting yourself. Schools, Yes. The only schools that I were looking at that I was looking at were the schools that were looking at me and reached out to me first. Okay. So, you know, that eliminates a lot of the big schools, unfortunately, but okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just want to feel wanted, you know? Sure. And so, um, I, like I said, playing really good golf really late and she came out and, um, a friend of a friend, they were like, Hey, you need to look at Jensen Castle. And so they looked at me. I had no idea that I was recommended, you know, 
And she came and watched me with AJGA girls at Furman. And right that night, she offered me, after watching um, me play, like, only nine holes. And at the time, I was like, okay, like, I don't know if I want to get out of here, like, South Carolina. Like, I don't know. But um, surely, I went and visited and fell in love. And it was such a fast process because she offered me in probably about middle of August, beginning of September and then you know signing comes and I mean less than a month later I committed and signed all so fast but I'm so grateful for Golda and Kentucky family for welcoming me in and choosing me and taking a chance on me I'm super happy here so how did you make that decision because I, I don't know about I mean obviously we've spoken a lot on and off the golf course and I've, I've watched you play quite a bit over the last uh, that week like I said at Westchester but I'm just thinking of myself, like I'm a very analytical person. I, I don't know. I'm going to weigh the options. I'm going to talk to people. I almost have the issue of just kind of paralyzing myself on big decisions. And it doesn't come any bigger at that age where you're like, okay, I I, I live in South Carolina. I'm guessing you hadn't traveled much outside the state or, 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 you know, maybe to tournaments, but it's not like you probably knew a lot. Do you remember other than, Hey, here's a scholarship. Do you remember any other, you know, parts of that time in your life that led you like, yeah, this is going to be a good fit. Or was this just a leap of faith? It was definitely a huge leap of faith. Um, I mean, it was just one of those things that I was like, well, I only have these like a few offers left, you know, signing days coming up soon. And I was just like, it is what it is. Like I'm big SEC school. I loved Golda and Brian May. So I was like, I guess, I guess this is it. Like I, I committed. And when I committed to Golda, she called me and I'm a very decisive person, but I guess I was so like confused and torn about the decision that I ended up committing on the phone with her, but neither one of us knew I committed. So I was like, yeah, like, I guess that's good. I mean, sure. I'll take it or whatever. Okay. I don't even know what I said, but right. I committed and then I got off the phone and I was like, did I commit? Like I wasn't really sure. <laughs> Okay. And then it wasn't like a family discussion for me. Like, it was just like, oh, I guess so. And then she called me three days later and was like, hey, Jensen, like, uh, I just want to get back to you on our last phone call. Um, I was kind of confused when I got off the phone. Like, did you commit or did you not? And I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I committed. I'm not really sure, but it, that's okay. Yeah, I'll commit. Oh, my god! <laughs> like we were both extremely confused and it was funny, but. I I was a leap of faith and I'm super grateful for it. So you get to Lexington. This is obviously a a very large school and, and, uh, you know, big SEC school. And, you know, the first time I meet you is at the U S women's four ball at Merido. And then I also meet, uh, Lainey Fry who's on your team. And then your, your partner in, uh, at that championship was uh, Marissa Wensler. And, um, yeah, you, you three look like you just, can find trouble anywhere you turn look like you're having way too much fun in fact i think like during one of the during one of the stroke play rounds you're like hey can we get a picture with our our caddies i was like you know you're playing in the usga championship right now there are other things to focus on but um it, it was you guys seem like you get along so well but you're also competing for starting positions on that squad what was kind of your I guess your transition into playing big time collegiate golf, what was that freshman year like trying to learn the ropes of obviously balancing classes, but also new teammates, new team uh, culture. What do you remember about your freshman year? Uh, my freshman year, I remember coming in and 
growing up, I'm, I'm extremely blunt as it is, but uh-huh. I remember catching wind going into my freshman year is that I said something to someone and I pissed someone off and no one liked me. Okay. So, yeah, they just, <laughs> I mean, it was just the first impression. I've always been terrible at first impressions. And like, once you get to know me, like you realize like my first impressions aren't that good. Right. So I came in and like, I was kind of walking on eggshells anyways. Cause I was like, I want to be like, you know, these are my potential sisters for the rest of my life. Like best friends. And so <laughs> the first few weeks I was like, okay, like not completely myself, but, like extremely over friendly. But okay. everyone was so welcoming. Like, they all, like, knew that it was a first impression. And they're like, oh, I still got to give her a chance. So that was the biggest transition for me was learning to be with other personalities and, like, accepting it and, not, like, holding back a little bit on my bluntness. Because was, I was way too blunt. And I didn't think about anyone else's feelings. Like, right. sad to say, but I just, I just didn't know, you know? Sure. <laughs> not to mention I'm extremely aggressive. So it was, like, I'm blunt, aggressive, and just straightforward. It was just... Not a lot of good qualities out the gate. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, they'll learn about you quickly, which may or may not be a good thing. But they're gonna they're gonna get their full uh, they're gonna get the full understanding relatively quickly, I guess. Exactly. So the first few weeks, so I was just trying to figure everyone out and learning a lot about myself, which was awesome and a great time to do that. So over the first month or two, I finally, you know, had some type of feeling of like what to say and like what not to comment on and stuff like that. And after that, I mean, it was too smooth sailing with the rest of the team. Like I just had a better understanding and learned a lot about myself. As for the classes part, I, it wasn't a big deal for me because my senior and junior year of high school, I went to like a dual enrollment program where it was like a very uh, college structured class where we would only have class from like 10 to 11 and that's it. Okay. So I, I had an, a better understanding going into college, like how to manage those classes and like those schedules with time management and everything. That wasn't the biggest concern, but it, it was more of so me learning about myself and learning how to work with different personalities that like we're all similar, you know? So I'm guessing, I mean, from just listening to that and I guess other people listening right now, they're going to think that you are a very outspoken vocal leader of that team. You know, when a tournament isn't very successful, you're the one that's going to pull everyone together and say, hey, we got to we got to stop screwing around. We got to get back to work. This is this is not us. I, I'm, I mean, am I right in that assumption or am I completely wrong? Yes, I mean, that I, I am like that. Okay. Um, we actually have a t- we have a few big personalities on the team that are like that and that's a good thing is like in our traveling squad and our whole team in general um we have like three of us that are all that will all speak out and be like okay what what's going on here why is this what what is what's your problem you know stuff like that which is good and then we have a few people that are like the quieter ones and you know, they'll they'll get someone else back like you know sure but <laughs> I'm definitely one of the outspoken leaders per se. Like this is how it's going to be. And like, we're going to here to win and this is what we're going to do together. And as long as we're all on the same page and believing in each other and want to see each other to succeed, then that's all that matters. I'm guessing Wensler's is in the same category as you are. Wensler and I, she's the second one of the people on the team uh-huh. that'll speak up and say, all right, this isn't working. Someone needs to get it together. Uh-huh pick up the load she and i and whenever we first both came in she was one of the people that i upset on my official visit so she and i were both really concerned about us being on the same team 
because our personalities were going to clash. Uh-huh. Um, so she and I at first were like, uh, not really fond of each other. Uh-huh. Um, but she and I figured it out super quick. Like, especially as freshmen, we were like, all right, we're going to be on the same team. Like we're freshmen. We have four years plus together. And she and I have learned a lot about each other and what to say and what not to say and how to handle that stuff. But she and I have come such far away, and I'm so glad to be her, a teammate, her teammate. Yeah, and, and you guys playing that four ball together at, at Merido, that probably doesn't – I think you guys got to, what, quarter semis, I think, something in that neighborhood? I know you guys have yeah. a couple matches. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you, you have to be on the same page with, with not only a, a college teammate but a four ball partner. Yeah, you, you have to make sure that – you know when to say something, you know when to shut up, you know when to, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm not at all surprised about Wensler whatsoever. Um, <laughs> kind of getting that vibe too. So um, so let's talk about this this whole, uh, let's talk about the U.S. Amateur. You uh, obviously well-documented, a lot of things going on, not just that week, but also leading up to it. Uh, you know, suffering a stress fracture in your rib. You ha- So you're, you're coming in injured. And just as a reference, I want to make sure I have the timeline correct. Can you just kind of talk about what you did? So obviously you have to go through a qualifier. You qualify for the U.S. Amateur. What were those, I believe it was probably like, what, two, three weeks between qualifying and then leaving for New York? Yes. So I played in the Open, and that's when the ribs started bothering me. But at the time, we weren't familiar with, like, what it was. We just thought that like my lower back was super tight and it was working its way around because I wasn't stretching properly. But I mean, that's me and my coach and I just oblivious. So she told me to take some time off and I never did. You know, I work at a golf course, so it's hard to take time off when you're around golf so often and competitive. So all I wanted to do was play with my friends that I haven't seen in forever. So I never took time off and I came home and practiced. And then my first tournament back was the AM qualifier in Ohio. So I drove up there, played a practice round with Marissa, and the practice round I was great. Like it was, it was fine. Like I mean, I feel it a little bit, but it wasn't like I couldn't swing, you know. And I played so well, so I was super pumped going to the next day. And then <laughs> the next day, the first like nine holes, I was struggling. Like I just, it just hurt. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Like, wh- why is this not getting better? You know, frustrated. But I put my head down. And I'm like, all right, like this is a one day qualifier. You have nine holes left. You're two over, like two overs, not getting in, getting in, Jensen, like get it together. Right. So I got it together and ended up shooting two under to get in and missed the playoff by one. But the last nine holes, like I was in, in some pain. Um, it was just more mental, like getting in a better mental state and saying, all right, you know, it's nine holes, you need to figure something out. So I did that. And then the next day I went home. And I had one day off before I left for the North South. So that one day I was like, Jensen, you're not touching a club. Like your, your rib really hurts. Like, you know what you need to do. What I do, I touched a club and played nine holes. There you go. And I was in pain the whole time, but I was like, you know, at least I have a club in my hand. So the next day I left for the AM, I mean, for the North South for the first practice round. And I'm not an emotional person at all, but I was in so much pain to the point I had such a high pain tolerance. Like, I was crying during my the swinging. Like, I just come down, and, like, my rib would hurt so bad. And then I kept snack plucking him, which is the complete opposite of my misses in the game. Right. Because I was, like, trying to, like, not fl- use flinching. my rib. Yeah, you're flinching. Right. 
just swinging in fear and then I'd swing out and like okay just swing as hard like swing straight like like you know what to do then I do that and go perfectly straight right at the flag and I'm sobbing in pain so I called Brian May and he was like um Jensen like you need to withdraw I'm like okay like awesome you know like I knew I was gonna hear it but I didn't want to hear it right I mean I'm super competitive and seeing the field and playing the course already I'm like I can play you know but he talked me out of it I withdrew drove right back up to Lexington to get in to see the doctor. Um, the doctor felt around. Well, they wanted to see if it was broken, a broken rib, which, I mean, I knew it wasn't. I, it wasn't that bad. But so they the x-ray said it wasn't. It was all good. So then she felt around, and she's like, this might be potentially a stress fracture. Um, let's plan a schedule out for the rest of your summer. She's like, are you okay with sitting out the rest of the summer and then coming back and hopefully four to six weeks, it'll be healed by then. And I'm like, look bro like <laughs> i'm sorry just i could just totally see you just darting your eyes at like actually i could just pick any photo out of the u.s amateur with the look on your face when you're when you're in competition mode but i could just just yeah like look bro i mean do yeah. you understand what you're asking it's so good <laughs> that's exactly what it was and i was i mean i was very like nice about it i'm like look ma'am I, no i actually said bro but i was like Look, bro, I just qualified for the AM. Like, that's in two and a half weeks. Is there any way that I can play in that? And she's like, like, well, how do you think that's going to go? And I'm like, look, I-, I can take off as much time as you want. But, like, I need to play the practice rounds and then the first two rounds. And then I'll be done. So I, I need four days to play wow. 18 holes. And I will promise you, like, there's no way I'm making it past that. <laughs> and so she was like, okay, like so you can pick up the day <laughs> she's like so you can pick up a club uh the first practice round be okay and i'm like oh well you know I, it might be smart to touch a club a few days before the practice yeah, round if that's yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> so we agreed on picking up a club around the 27th 28th and i left the 30th um for the first practice round and so i picked up a club and i mean the first day i picked up a club i was like oh you know i'm feeling good like this is great the break was awesome i'm glad she's let me play you know second day i'm like okay you know i kind of feel it okay and then the third day i had a lesson before i left that morning and the lesson is like normally an hour but like after 30 minutes of swinging i'm like okay like this is enough like i'm in so much pain it wasn't funny so i was like the co- my coach and i ricky sullivan out of bulls bay we were like um okay jensen like you need to be smart about the practice rounds just go up there and and pay attention to the experience and like learn from it. Like, I mean, you got to have no expectations. You right. touch club days. I mean, you're in pain now, so this is going to be rough. And I'm like, awesome. You know? So I get up there and I played nine holes, the first practice round and nine holes, the second practice round and just didn't practice more than that. And the practice rounds were fine. It was a little bit better. I mean, it still bothered me a little bit, but it got better throughout the week. And yeah. then I made it to match play. I'm like, what in the world? Like the playoff is crazy. And then I won and I'm like, Oh, doctor's going to kill me. <laughs> uh-huh, pretty much. Yeah. So, um, I just can't get over the fact that you basically, cause like the way you're talking, the strength of your game, obviously you, you have to hit the shots, make the putts. I mean, obviously, you know, every, I mean, everyone at this level can do that, but it sounds to me that one of the biggest strengths of your game is your mental toughness and you have already told yourself and the doctor 
look, I'm just going to be there for four days. It's just a real quick trip up. I get my, you know, I get my player's badge. I hit a couple shots. I miss match play and I'll be home and that's it. So <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I mean, that's basically what you're telling me. And I'm just like, and I got to, we got to ask later about how you flip the switch of, okay, I'm here now. Um, what were your first thoughts of Westchester when you stepped on the property? Have you seen anything like that before in your life? No, it was such a great golf course. Um, what I agree, one of my mental, one of my strengths is my mental game, and I yeah. didn't realize that at all. But in my opinion, like every golf course, especially you know, golf course is a golf course. But in my head, I don't say that. I don't think Westchester is any different than Augusta. It's just a golf course. Okay. There's going to be good holes. There's going to be bad holes that you don't like to set up to, and there's going to be good holes that you like to set up to. But there's no reason to adapt feelings or have emotion towards those holes because if you like it or not, you're going to play it. So, Interesting. I mean, I, I loved Westchester, but like I said, like my mental approach is like just another golf course. There's going to be holes that I don't like to set up to. There's going to be holes that I don't like that I do like to set up to. But there's no reason to have attach any feelings or opinions to it because regardless, you're going to play it. But I mean, I love, I really love the layout. I mean, it's a great golf course. And I was more amazed at how well and the condition of the golf course, it was in great condition and the greens were so fast. I mean, I love fast greens. So, I mean, I was more impressed with the condition of the golf course during that time of the year. Yeah. So that's interesting. So what you're saying with regards to the golf course, whether it's Westchester, whether it's Bulls Bay, Augusta National, Shinnecock, whatever, whatever the case may be you're really not falling in love with the romance of, of the golf course. You're looking at it as like, all right, this is just another puzzle that I have to figure out and put the pieces together on. Exactly. There's exactly. Wow. All right. So something that maybe listeners can adapt into their game, uh, obviously we're, you know, not everyone playing golf right now is su suffering from a stress fracture in their rib, but they may be coming off of injuries and they may not have as much time to get their game in shape or to, uh, you know, going to a tournament where or championship where there's just limited time to learn the golf course. Now, fortunately, at Westchester, which I think helped you out tremendously, is it was just one golf course. It wasn't two courses to look at. What was what's your philosophy to practice rounds and preparing for a tournament? Um, you had less time, obviously, at home to prepare because of your injury. But when you're on site, you know, we're talking about, you know, figuring out how these pieces fit into the puzzle what's your approach to practice rounds so you can get as much information as into your you know into your repertoire as quickly as possible i don't think that much i think that's another one that's part of my strengths of my game is okay. like i don't overthink anything um so when i played the practice round i just fairways and greens okay <laughs> that it is what it is and you just got to make sure you know your game well enough like your swing that you know the miss and you can aim appropriately I mean, golf's a game of misses, so it's all about, I mean, aiming and missing in the right spots. And as long as you know your game well enough that you know the miss, you can aim appropriately. I mean, you just got to hit greens. I mean, I don't three-putt often. So, I mean, my mindset is get on the green and make sure you know when you play the practice round what spots you don't need to be in where the, based off where the pin is or if the pin's in the back shelf of, like, number two at Westchester, if the pin's in the back shelf or one for that, for that fact, um, you don't miss long. You're screwed long. Okay. So center of the green or short of the green, that's your miss. Yep. And just like that, I, I mean, that's how I play practice rounds and just noting your miss of the, for that week. 
Um, you shoot 79-71 in stroke play to get into this uh, this playoff, this 12 for two. We'll, we'll talk about the playoff in a second, but uh, there's some somebody missing here that we haven't discussed, the guy in your bag, Tom Moylan. Um, not just your caddy, but I know you're really close friends with the entire Moylan family. Um, give me a little bit of, of how you met Tom and how he – you know, not only found his way under your bag, but also traveled up there with you. Give me, uh, let's get, let's get Tom Moylan some publicity here. I mean, this guy, is, he was a little too shy there uh, at Westchester. So let's, let's brag on Tom a little bit. Oh, the Moylan family, they're so special to me and I'm so lucky to have them in my life. Um, I basically met them through a host's family. I played in a golf tournament in South Carolina and Daniel Island Golf Club, the big guy, Trusted Choice, um, about four or five years ago. And he was my host family, him and his wife there. They live on Daniel Island. And, you know, that week <laughs> at that time in my life, I was extremely blunt and aggressive, you know, had no idea about other people's feelings. But not anymore. Not anymore. You're a different person now, Jensen. I could tell. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, at first, my first impression with them wasn't that great. But over time, we just uh, bonded and formed this special friendship where I would, my golf coach is out of Daniel, he's out of Bulls Bay, which is in Charleston, but I mean, it's about 15 minutes from where they live. So I would come down there for a lesson and I would hang out with them afterwards. And over time, you know, it bonded, it was, it turned out to be so much more. So when COVID first hit, I went home to see them. So I went straight to Charleston when COVID hit and I stayed with them for a week and it was just me and them and they don't have a, they had animals and, it's just them two. So it, they enjoy my company and it's like a different outlook on life, you know? Sure. And since then, I mean, they've traveled with me to some of my tournaments at Kentucky and came and visited. Um, they've just been a very important role in my life just as to look up to them and their lifestyle. And basically it started how they came to go to New York with me was I was going to drive up to New York by myself. And then, you know, Lainey Fry and Marissa Winsler and I, we were like, all right, let's rent an Airbnb. And then, you know, we start looking and they're like, you're going to pay for the whole week. Uh -huh. I'm like, look, guys, I'm not paying it for the whole week. I'm not going to make it a match play. I just need four nights to sleep somewhere. <laughs> so that plan fell fast because we're like, we're not, no one's going to pay for the whole week if we don't make it the whole week. Right, you know, it's just right, wasting right. money. So I told them that I was going to drive up there. And I'd have a really old forerunner. I mean, it's got so many problems. It's not funny. And they were like, Jensen, like, I don't like the idea of you driving up to New York by yourself. And I'm like, the problem with me is like, I don't mind getting up there. Like the problem, I would just stay with like with my roommates. The, the only concern there is me getting there with my car. Right. Exactly. By myself. And so Tom's like, how about this? Like, I will fly up there and I'll fly with you. And then I'll stay with you for the week. And I'm like, like, oh, you would do that, you know? And sure enough, he and I flew up there. Um, we get for the practice round or whatever. And, you know, there was no discussion of him catting at all. Like, he was just going there with me for, like, safety. Like, make sure I can get a hotel or right. whatever. And then his wife flew up the first round. And um, the, during the practice round, he was out there. I was playing with Lainey and Marissa. And I actually rented a push cart, like whenever I filled out the um, registration for the USAM. And he got out, we got out of the car, I put the bag down, and he's like, Do you mean to carry this to the range? And I'm like, Oh, sure. Like, I'll have to figure out about the push cart later. 
And then we left the range. She's like, do you mean to carry it to the putting green? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, with my rib at the time, I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then he's like, do you want to, do you mean to just carry it for today? And like tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's fine. And then I got out to the golf course and I saw how many hills there were. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, he's not doing a bad job. He's pretty good. Like, I don't see myself using this push cart out here. And he and I are having some fun and, and I'm not going to make the cut anyway. So I might as well make this an experience to remember. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, keep going. But I just want to, uh, quick question. Has he ever caddied for you before in a tournament? Never. Okay, so Tom Moylan is one for one, and the only <laughs> tournament he's ever caddied, it's the only one he's ever won, he's never lost, and he's a U.S. Amateur Championship caddy. You got to get business cards for this guy. This guy's a legend. All right, go ahead. Sorry. The, so, he is a legend. And, oh, my God. You know, the, the first day, the practice rounds, we were fine. Like, I was, it was practice round. It wasn't that deep. You know, that first round, he and I, I, there was one time that we, like, it wasn't that we got into it, but, like, it wasn't, like, it, it wasn't, we weren't on the same page, you know? Like, he didn't know my lifestyle that I wanted him for him to caddy, and right. he didn't want to overstep, right, you know, that right. type of thing. So, he kind of, like, hit a rocky road mid-round. But after that, like, we were fine. And after the round, you know, we talked, and we're like, oh, like, this, what, what you said here made me upset, and vice versa. But like I said, that was the first time he's ever been on a bag and he had no idea what to expect. And I had no idea what to expect. So we went from there and the rest of the week, I mean, like I said, like it was a, it was such a small encounter. Like it wasn't that big of a deal, but throughout the week, like he, by the end of the week, he knew what to expect and I knew what to expect. And we were out there just having fun and that's all that mattered. So, 79-71, you miss a birdie put on 18 that would just get you into match play free and clear. You get into this playoff, 12 for 2. And, you know, looking back at the week, I mean, obviously, the, the you know, them handing you the trophy at the end of the final match is, is the most memorable moment of the week, I would imagine. But not far behind is that crazy playoff. So, it's, you know, there was daylight left. So, this was... Uh, gosh, Tuesday, my days are running all over the place, but I'm guessing Tuesday. it's a yeah, Tuesday evening and there's still daylight and it's the first playoff hole. The first hole at, uh, at Westchester is a par three and 12 players. And you got to go basically four, four, four. Everyone has to play that one hole until you can move on. And, um, you know, two players advance, well chronicled. It's, it's you and, and Marissa Wensler you get in with the first birdie so you get the 63rd seed but you're also on the green as marissa is lining you guys actually played in the same group if i remember so it wasn't like she went off first and hung around or no you went off in the second group didn't you she was in the third yeah she was in third you're in the second okay so you're up up there you make your birdie you're in uh or at least you have your birdie and then she hits up with her group and you're on the green um more nervous because she was the last person to have a birdie putt in her group. So you know that if she makes this birdie putt, she gets 64. You're already at 63. Um, were you more nervous watching her putt or were you more nervous with your putt to get the 63rd seed? Um, I definitely wasn't nervous for my putt. I knew I, I knew I was getting in on the playoff. Okay. Um, for Marissa, I don't think I was nervous at all, really. I mean, I really, really wanted her to end. Of course. But I think I was just a little bit anxious. Like, uh, like it was just, like, too perfect of a story right. for it to work out. Like, I wanted her to make it more than anything. 
And I think I was just so in the moment of watching and like not even thinking about the future, just like, okay, Marissa, like, come on, cheering her on. Yeah, I remember, and you two were just on cloud nine after that. I mean, I remember that interview with the two of you, and you just, I mean, the smiles were, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, the smiles were bigger than what I saw at Merido for the four ball. So what does that tell you? Yeah, and I, I winning the tournament to me was very, it's a special moment. But I think more than anything, that moment with Marissa and her and I getting on in the playoff yeah. like, was almost as special or if not more. I mean, Marissa is like a sister to me, and, you know, she and I have come so far, like I said at the beginning of the video, and, you know, a 12 for two playoff, the chances of two Kentucky teammates getting in, I mean, the chances are so low, and just to share that moment with Marissa, like, was such a special moment in time. I mean, at that point in time, I didn't care if I won the tournament or not. It was just so special for me to get in with her. I mean, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. One of the more memorable matches of the entire week is you against Rachel Heck. It goes to the 19th hole. And I know that you and I have spoken previously about your demeanor on the golf course where, especially when you're standing over a shot, you are 100% all business. There is no confusion in that. I think anyone that watched on TV, anyone that was there at Westchester, really did get the full understanding that you're very competitive and, and very focused. Um, I, I was right there on that 19th hole which ended up being the 10th hole they used for that playoff uh, as opposed to one. And, uh, you know, both of you had birdie putts. You were um, you were outside of her, and you ran yours in first. And I'm right there, you know, kind of kneeling along the side of the green. I got the camera focused. I'm waiting for the big fist pump, the big reaction. And you would have thought that you just basically made another practice putt on the putting green back home at in Lexington for maybe a candy bar. I mean, it was really just a matter of fact. It's like, yeah, I do this. I just make these putts. Um, crowd went, crowd, uh, you know, erupted. You didn't. And do you remember? Is that is that just is that your personality, or is that maybe something that you thought of? Hey, let's not make this a big deal and. <laughs> and show Rachel Heck that, hey, this is what I do? Do you remember maybe your thought process then? Um, <laughs> so in my mindset on the golf course, everything evens out. So when I miss putts on 16, 17, and 18, like great putts that I had and great opportunities, when I missed all of those, I knew one was bound to fall in. And I I mean, I knew everything was going to work out. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so when I well, going into the playoff hole, like – I knew I had it like a birdie. I knew I had a birdie. I didn't know what she was doing. That was, wasn't my concern. I was playing my own game. Um, so when I piped the drive, you know, I was happy or whatever. And then the chip, I mean, it wasn't a great chip, but I knew I had an opportunity. And as soon as I got on the green and I saw that line, I mean, I'm a super aggressive putter and I, I don't overthink putting. Like I, whenever I see something, I see something. And as soon as I saw the putt and the break, I'm like, this is going in. And I'm not a very emotional person. So, I don't really show that much reaction because like I said, it's golf. Like the more reaction you show, I mean the good and the bad, I mean, it's golf. You're going to have putts that go in. You're going to have putts that don't go in. There's just no reason to react to it. Um, but I saw the putt. I knew it was going to go in and it went in and it was just a putt, you know, it was a birdie and that's what I wanted. Um, I thought for sure she'd make it. And <laughs> like I said, like I, I was actually pulling out driver before she putted because I was really? ready for the next hole. I mean, my, my mental mindset, I'm like, all right, birdie's birdie she's about to make it let's go to the next hole but i just just don't believe in showing that much reaction because i mean it just makes golf a little harder you know 
Sure. Okay. No, that's that's good. It. I really. Uh, that's why I wanted to get your mindset, not just for for my curiosity, but I think it's good for people listening to realize that you're right. There's always another. I mean, you had another match to play. You you were expecting to play another hole in that match, so there's always another shot to hit. Um, but no, it's it's fascinating to listen to your mindset on approaching each shot. So obviously, you're, you you get through that match. You're you got 36 holes to the next day. And obviously, sure, you're excited. You're playing in a U.S. Amateur final, something beyond your wildest dreams. But there's also that rib injury that is still around. We can't forget about that. How did you treat that during the week? I mean, how did you actually get this done? Because you, like you said, you only expected to play four hole or four days, and now basically, you're, let's double that, and now you got to go 36. What did you do to, how did the medical team, like, what was your process like after every round? I can tell you, I came, became best friends with medical people, that's I, for sure. I bet they, I, I bet so. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so as soon as I finished that first practice round, I went and found the medical team, and I'm like, look, guys, like, <laughs> I got a rib injury, and it's a stress fracture, and they're like, oh, my God, are you sure you should be playing? I'm like, yeah, don't worry, I'm only going to make it to, uh two more days and oh, I'll be out of here <laughs> to God. and um <laughs> they're like no like don't say that I'm like okay like what do you guys recommend and you know we went through the whole process I'm like this is what I've been doing this is the medicine I'm on um they're like well like unfortunately for your injury like the only thing you can do is rest and yeah. I'm like don't worry after the tournament I'll be resting for a while uh-huh. um and they're like okay so they just gave me ice after every single round and I ice it up after every single round, nothing before, because there's just no point. And I continue to take the medicine I was on and Tylenol. Yeah. And that's all that I really did. But I mean, I did that after every single round, no matter what. Unreal. Unreal. So obviously the 36 hole match, uh, it goes your way, but I, I just remember you being two down after 18 holes. And, you know, a lot of the talk of that championship was the fact that the very first hole was a par three and you know i would talk with members there of course they flipped the nines so all the members it was actually funny i i know you wouldn't really be aware of this but on my side talking to volunteers or scoring officials or anyone that was a member at westchester you know they would say oh you know go out to the fourth hole our 13th because everything was flipped so it was so interesting to hear people talk about the golf course because you always had to ask if what hole they were talking about was it the USGA setup or was it the Westchester setup? But, um, you know, the first hole is, is a par three and you go in two down and you completely, you know, you knock it stiff on, on the 19th hole and you cut Vivian, Vivian Ho's lead in half. How important was that hole right there? Cause I, I saw that happen live and I said, Oh, okay. Well now, now we're off to the races. There's going to be something special happening here. <laughs> so that morning match, I mean, it was just a match. Like, I think it was not, I don't want to say a waste of time, but I mean, I know that what you first, mean. it's flat. That, yeah. That first 18 holes are relevant. As long as you're not 12 down. Yeah. I mean, it's relevant. And so that's the mindset I went in with it. Um, I mean, I was, it was kind of up and down match at the beginning. And then towards the end, um, it just flipped around and I wasn't swinging confidently and, I don't know if it had anything to do with that. I wasn't wearing my cloak, my, my skirt, or I just wasn't confident. And I came off and I was like, okay, you know, two down. I mean, I can get that back in two holes and I have 16 left. So I wasn't really worried about how far down I was. I was just ready to go whenever I came out. And sure enough, I mean, at part three, 
a lot of people put a lot of emphasis like it's talk of the town during the tournament yeah uh, they put a lot of emphasis on starting on par three but like in my opinion i mean like i said you can't put emphasis on ho- holes on a golf course i mean you play poorly on holes the more emphasis or stress you put on a hole so, I mean, it was just an iron shot. It was like I already hit a great drive. So, it wasn't a big deal for me starting out on par three. And by the end of the week, I think I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it's like a warm-up shot, you know? Right, right. But well, the thing that I I, did, I just thought was a quick way for you to cut a lead in half. Um, you know, obviously, it's 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 less shots. You hit Basically, you just hit one great tee shot, and, you're, and you cut the lead in half. So Exactly. Yeah. Um, you go on, obviously, to win this championship, and then – you know, as they like to say, your your life will change forever. And, you know, another thing I, I wanted to make sure we talked about was, you know, obviously amateur golf is something that I'm passionate about here at the back of the range. I loved seeing you and, you know, every player make sure to take a lot of time to pose for photos with fans and autographs, and especially the kids. In fact, I, I don't know if you remember, but there's there was this one little boy that was just a little shy and you kind of brought him out of oh, his yeah. shell. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. That was one of the coolest memories. He was of a the, special kid. Yeah. And, and just, there's a lot of parents out there and a lot of kids and just love seeing the kids come up to, to, to all the players and get autographs and sign my hat and sign my flag. And I know this is a kind of a deep question, but you know, how important is it and how special is it to realize that, okay, you know, you're going to kind of be the face of the women's amateur game for a while and you got to represent the, the, the amateur side of this game uh, to a lot of kids. That has to be a big memory for you as well. Yes, I didn't even realize I'd become the face of the amateur world. But I think it's very special to grow the game and then very important to see. And Rachel Heck and I talked about it before our match that no matter who won that match, we are going to give the crowd and the, the kids something to watch and want to be one day. That's awesome. And talking in between shots laughing cutting up you know what i mean she and i talked about our whole life and her boyfriend and everything in between just making sure you know kids know like golf's a sport like yes and maybe one day it'll be a job but you gotta make golf fun and showing the kids that and being the face of amateur golf for a little bit it's gonna be very special to me i mean golf's a great sport and it's very you you got to use it to your advantage like meeting new people traveling the world and it's it's more than a game you know you're 100 percent right i mean there's a lot of uh, great things that are coming your way and uh, you know whether or not it translates into a professional career or, or an amateur you know a storied amateur career whatever it means there's a lot of great things coming your way you know what's funny is that on the men's side it's very, uh, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, if you make it to the final, whether you're the USAM champion uh, or, or you're the runner-up. So, But both James Pyatt and and uh, Austin Greaser, they are both going to be playing in the Masters. Uh, I completely forgot to remind you, you know you're playing at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. You're going to get to play Augusta. Has that? Did, did anyone tell you that? Are you aware of that? Yeah, I just recently found out about that, actually. I'm uh-huh. pretty excited, especially with it being close to home for me. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so we get to do that. And then also uh, winning the USAM gets you onto the Curtis Cup team. You are, you're leaving the country pretty soon to go to Wales. Uh, we're not going to talk about Wales too much. Um, but uh, all these things kind of jumping out at you, I'm, I'm guessing that's taking a little bit of adjustment time as well. Oh, yes. Um, it, like I said, it hasn't registered at all. I mean, I know 
like growing up always hearing about the Curtis Cup and knowing players on it and being like that's amazing like I hope one day I'm as good as them and stuff like that and just recently actually I went back and stalked those players I'm like wow like Uh I can't believe that this is going to be me next week but I mean I'm just thankful for the experience that I'm gonna have I've never been out of the country and I mean I'm just now learning where Wales is so I'm learning a lot already and I'm not even there so you volunteered Uh, that information I was not gonna go there but uh that you volunteered (laughs) there for well we'll, they'll they'll get you there safely don't you worry just if someone says (laughs) yeah if someone says to get on a flight and they're wearing a USGA shirt just follow them it's fine (laughs) thank god I'm not driving a plane uh yes (laughs) that, that would not be good um the I know during the broadcast, uh, Morgan Pressel said, um, you know, the the trophy sat on top of her dining her parents' dining room table for a year. It was like a centerpiece on the dining room table, and uh, you have the trophy with you. And of course, suffering someone that's suffering from a stress fracture in their rib would naturally win the heaviest trophy in the USGA trophy case. So that's perfect. <laughs> I love the story of last night of, of your trip from South Carolina to Lexington. And if you can share just the, I mean, I, I just think it's so, it's such so true amateur golf. It's just so true of just basically a college kid playing their summer tournament. And now it's time to go back to school. Tell me about your latest uh, cross country uh, voyage in the forerunner. So last night, I drove back from South Carolina to Kentucky and my car was actually in shop the past two days. So I normally am a morning person. I'm not very good at night. So I, I normally drive at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. Um, to Lex- to Lexington or South Carolina just because I'm a morning person and I have no problem waking up and I'd rather crank it out away then. Um, unfortunately, my car's been in the shop the last two days. So I didn't get my car yesterday until 4 p.m. And the weather was terrible, and as soon as I got the car, you know, I'm booking it to South uh, to Lexington, uh-huh. Kentucky. I'm like, I don't, I'm not good at night, and I can't drive. It's just it's hard for me to drive at night, and I get so tired and whatever. So, I I packed that trophy up in the car yesterday or last night, and I mean, it takes up the whole back seat of my Forerunner. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even kidding. There's nothing else I can put on the seat unless it's stacked above it, which then you can't see out of the back. Right. And that's awesome at night. And so here I am driving from Columbia, South Carolina, Lexington, Kentucky, getting in at midnight, one o'clock and having this for uh, having the trophy in this box all in my back seat. Can't see out of the back of the car. I mean, barely, barely getting by, but it was late. And um, all my teammate or my roommates, Laney Fry and Maria and Tanner Parks, they all helped me unload it. And <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> I can tell you that. So you have uh, you have the trophy in the back. You have your sticks in the back. You have your clothes in the back. You have also now Curtis Cup, uh, uh, you know, clothes for to travel with. So you have all. So basically, you're a little too young for the. You know, you're basically the Clampets, just kind of you know wandering around the the country, just on a big road trip with just you know stuff dragging behind you. Oh, by the way, it's the U.S. Women's Amateur Trophy. Um, where now I, before I let you go and I know you got to get packed up and ready for, for the Curtis cup and obviously the upcoming season, but, um, how much fun is the Kentucky women's golf team going to have with that trophy, um, this semester, where are the places in Lexington where you, you know, I don't think that's going to sit on top of a dining room table anytime soon. I think you're going to take that some places. Where are some fun places 
you want to take that trophy. As of right now, it's sitting at the st- on bottom of the staircase, and Lainey Fry is completely obsessed with it. <laughs> um, she has it sitting out, and then she has this "Please do not touch" sign right underneath it. Oh, I'm getting a picture of that. If you don't, you got to send me a picture of that, please. <laughs> I'll definitely send you a picture of it. It's it's worth the view. Okay, but. I mean, I don't. It doesn't really matter to me where it is. I'm just gonna give it to Kentucky Athletics and see what they want to do with that. Maybe some of the gold medals from the Olympians. They'll probably be in a room with them. Um, I'll probably either leave it there or at the golf house, and maybe bring it to a few of the golf courses we go to. Brian May mentioned. Yeah. Bring it to LCC if people want to see the trophy or the U Club, wherever anyone wants to see it. As for me, I mean. <laughs> I just I can't believe it's real, and I'm just passing it around. <laughs> <laughs> I I envision a uh, a halftime ceremony at a Kentucky football game. I think that's in your future. That or a basketball game that, would be pretty cool. I think I think maybe one of I think both of those might be in your future. I think they can make that happen. Um, wow, uh, holding that trophy in the middle of a, a football field or a basketball. Wow, good gosh. it'll be crazy and hopefully by then it's sunk in and Uh i've realized what i've done (laughs) i think it's going to sink in i think it will sink in in wales uh i think that's going to be a excellent adventure for you and the entire team uh really a dominant team heading over to wales good lord i mean uh you know zang and heck and pigliaccio and keen and you and and yeah that's that's going to be an incredible experience for you and then when you get back um Got to get back for regular season. So um, you have a lot to do. Uh, I really appreciate the time. It was a, and thank you for a very, a very entertaining week at Westchester. I know uh, everyone enjoyed it. And like you said, you really did represent the game at the highest level. And uh, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. No, thank you so much for having me. And the pictures you took there were fantastic. I can't, I enjoyed looking at them. And there you have it. Special thanks to Jensen Castle for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, the Curtis Cup is shown on Golf Channel this weekend, so make sure you're taking a look at that. If you have any questions, shoot me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. Every episode is available on our website, thebackoftherange.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, every link that you could possibly imagine, and merch. Yes, merch is for sale on the website. So, For now, enjoy the weekend, and we'll see you next time here at the back of the ranch.